show. I'm your host, Kenny Annie Kimura. This is the first episode of season two. We hope you had a great holiday season and are off to a productive start to your new year. We're going to switch it up a bit for this episode. Usually we start off with some music, but I have a special guest with me on the line that we're going to get right to talking to. I'm a huge sports fan, especially basketball. So on this episode, it's entitled The Coaching Episode. I've been coaching AAU and high school basketball for the last five years, and this person that's about to join us is a huge influence on why I do what I do in the coaching world. He played 17 years in the NBA and coached in the college ranks for over 10 years. He won a national championship at the University of Kentucky on the staff of John Calipari. I'm fortunate to call him my uncle, big brother, and mentor. Now joining us, Rod Strickland. Rod, what's up? Thanks for being on. Oh, absolutely. What's up, nephew? This is the first time I'm doing a podcast with family. So I'm definitely uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We have been talking about it for a little bit, and um, we finally were able to make it happen. So this is a great, this is great. This is historic. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, normally when people get you on, you know, I've listened to some of your podcasts and some, you know, where you've been on, and mostly people like to talk about your NBA career and um, talk about your connection to Kyrie. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to get you on to kind of talk about your uh, your coaching journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so so kind of talk about your coaching journey. You started off in a, in a support staff role at the University of Memphis. Then you were an assistant at Kentucky, and you ended up as an assistant at USF. So kind of walk my audience through that whole process of, like, making a transition from being a player to a coach. Well, uh, I guess winding down to my playing days, uh, late in my career, I was trying to figure out what was next. You know, you kind of know the end is coming. You can tell, you know, by the way you're playing and the the way teams are playing so you know it's coming to an end. Uh, so I always thought about, you know, what would I do afterwards? Uh, I know I'm a basketball guy. I've been a basketball guy all my life. I don't think a lot of people really understood that or even, well, they probably understand it a little more now. Uh, so I just was trying to figure things out, but I wasn't for sure. And, well, I got to back up too. So when I, when I retired from NBA, which, you know, I tell people it's not really a retirement, <laughs> Most of the time, it's just basically you can't play anymore. And <laughs> right. So I still had the itch for basketball. So I actually was supposed to go over to Lithuania with uh, Avita Sabonis. I had signed a contract with them. Uh, I had my bags packed. But uh, I had told my kids during that season that it was going to be my last year. But I still had the itch. So... Uh, after the season, I was in talks with some bonus, you know. Uh, so it was a done deal. Had my bags packed. The kids left that morning. They were whining, you know, kind of. Sure, bad, sure, you know, sure. about me leaving. And by the time I got up uh, to, to, to get up and go, get in the car, pack the rest of my stuff, I changed my mind. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I just chastised I can't. I couldn't do it. Like, I didn't want to leave the kids. Uh, I was I was a little worried about being overseas. You know me very well. I'm oh, very finicky. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. And and I love my surroundings. You know, to be comfortable. And so I was kind of a little uh, leery of of just going overseas and being away from everybody. And so I backed out of that. So now I'm home and I'm and I'm bored because. One thing people don't understand is you play basketball all your life, no matter what. If you hang out, if you don't hang out, uh, whatever you do, for the, well, I think most players, your your day is, is kind of uh, surrounded by basketball. You got a routine. So, yeah, your routine. So mm-hmm. every day I'm touching that gym, you know, in some capacity. You know, it could be once, twice. It could be playing ball. It could just be working out. So now I'm like, what do I do? Like, there's no really, there's no reason to go to the gym. Um, and so I'm at home, you know, uh, family's out, the kids are in school, my friends are working. And I really was sitting there like, wow, like, what's next? And kind of bored and frustrated. I reached out to a friend, and I'm like, listen, I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm going crazy. 
And, uh, you know, that turned into a conversation with uh, Cap. Um, then I wound up, John Calipari. Uh, and then I wound up at Memphis. And I was in a supporting role. And, and it's so funny because back then, no one from, no pro basketball player would have coached in college. They all thought that, like, that's too much work. Like, if you go back, like, I don't think people really understand this. If you go back in detail, when I first got into college basketball, how many pro coaches there were, pro basketball players that were coaches, it was only Danny Manning. Yeah, and Wagner, right? I I slipped, but it was Danny Manning. And Wagner, too, because you replaced him, right? No, no, no. Danny Manning was, he was at Kansas or somewhere. No, no, no. I, I replaced, I'm sorry, you're right. I replaced Milt Wagner. Right. Right. Danny Manning was somewhere else. But I think Milt Wagner, I'm not for sure he was he wasn't even in the coaching position. But still he was on the staff. So there was two Gotcha. Okay. There weren't many of them. Right. So uh you know, I got there and Cal kinda tried to look at uh I think he tried to look and see how Danny Manning got on staff. And I think he did it by being a player development slash manager. So you had to put the manager on the tag so that you can be on the court. That was the only way you can be on the court. Okay. So, you know, I started out as, you know, player development. Uh, and for two years, I made, one year I made $1,000 a month for nine months. Wow. I wasn't even a full-time. Uh, and then the next year I made $1,200 for nine months. Well, you got a bump. <laughs> I got bumped. And then the third year, I became uh, director of basketball operations. And I think I may have gotten up to, uh, I don't know, was it 60000 70000 something like that. Uh, and so, you know, but I was, I, was, I was happy to be in a position where, you know, I can inspire to get better, you know, learn. Uh, how to become a coach because I just came out of out of professional ranks. I still had my professional BS with me, you know. Oh, yeah. I still had the spoiled in me. I still, you know, I still hung out a little bit. Uh, you know, I was learning to be like a professional in the world outside of basketball. I was learning how to be a coach, and you know, there were times where. You know, I'll come in later on in the day. Like, I just didn't know the value. And I've always had issues with time. Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you, like, Cal, I wanted to shake his hand because he was the first dude to get you out of bed. Like, nobody in the league, like, nobody could get you out of bed. Like, he was the well, first. That's, you know, that, that wasn't the greatest habits, obviously. <laughs> that, was, that was a, a habit that carried over, you know, from you know, real young, you know, from my youth. So I had to learn to become professional. I had to learn how to study the game. You know, as a basketball player, I studied it in my own way. But as a coach, you know, it's a bigger picture. You know, sure. you have to look at it in a broader perspective. So, uh, you know, each year I was learning how to become more professional. I'll never forget the best thing that happened was Cal made us write a, a scouting report. He made it. He told us, he said, I want y'all to watch five games. Of every, you know, every time I'm, every time we play somebody, you need to watch five of their games, and then I want you to to write out a report. So that was good for me because it locked me in to watching the games, uh, you know, uh, which teaches you more. That's why all these guys who who are who are video guys become coaches, right? Because right. they're all day. Sure, they end up yeah, they just watch a film. So, yeah. Right, so they get to study the game, and, and they're actually important because you know they're like the the lifeline line for the, for the coach. You know, they're giving him all the information. Sure. So I started doing that, and uh, you know that helped a, a lot. You know, I still was was uh, transitioning from playing to coaching, so I still had some bad habits and all that. Uh, but it was great. I was there with some great players. I was there with Tyreek Evans. You know, Derrick Rose. Uh, you know, we went to the national title game, lost, unfortunately, to Kansas. Uh, but, you know, I had a chance to be around those guys. I had, to, I had a chance to be around Cal. You know, he used to always ask some questions why he did things. I'll never forget there were two players we had. This is my, this is my first year with Cal. And we had two point guards. 
And one point guard to me, obviously, was the starting point guard. Okay. Uh, you know, smart, tough, you know, experienced. Then we had a younger guard. And, you know, I think he, he needed some work. I don't think he was ready. Okay. And I never forget, Cal was kind of playing the other guy, or, or it seemed to me like he was trying to get this other guy ready to play over the, the guy who I thought was ready. And so one day I went in the office and I asked him, you know, why, you know, what's the matter? You know, why you seem like you want to play this guy or that guy? And he said, I, I, I need to make sure that the point guard number two is ready because point guard number one may let us down. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Down. But he said, basically, he wasn't confident in uh, 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 him him doing the right thing, right? So he wanted to prepare the second point guard just in case, you know what I mean? Other, of, of, if this guy, you know, something happened and we needed him. So, I, you know, that to me, that was great information at the time, you know, because I was looking at it one way, but he was looking at it, you know, in a bigger picture. And it kind of made me go back to my playing days too, to kind of like, you know, why there were times when teams tried to get other guards and, you know, me being laid off. You know what I mean? Doing things like that, you realize as a, as you know, when you look at it from a coaching perspective, how disruptive that could be. So I kind of understood what he said. That was like a little nugget for me. But I always ask Cal certain things, why he did this or that, because I was just trying to gain information and knowledge. So, uh, uh, but it was a great experience. Uh, then we moved on to, to, to uh, Kentucky. You know, Cal had the opportunity to go to Kentucky. Never forget sitting in, the, in his house for days, and he, he, he's trying to figure out, you know, if he wants to take the job, because obviously it was his dream job, but he loved Memphis. You know, he, he had done some great things there, and he had people there, and so that was kind of hard. Yeah, he really built that really? program. What'd you say? He really built that program, so I'm sure it had to be right, kind of tough. Right, right. He, yeah, yeah, he brought it back to, to what it once was, you know, the Penny years, Penny Hardaway years and all that. So, uh, you know, it was kind of hard for him to leave. And Josh Pashman was there, and he wound up getting a job. Uh, and he was only there for a year, and he actually asked me to stay. Oh, really? And, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I thought about it for a second uh, because I wanted to be a coach and I was moving on. I didn't know if I was going to be a coach. I was still in that, you know, that other position. Uh, but I got to Kentucky and I was like, no, I can't leave this. It's crazy. Like, you know, <laughs> those facilities. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I wound up at Kentucky, became the assistant coach. Uh, and, you know, we had, we had, some of the greatest talent that we that that were going to sign with us in Memphis basically came to Kentucky and John Wall, Marcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, I think I'm missing someone, uh, but those were the three main ones. Mm-hmm. And then we had Patrick Patterson, who was always who was already there. Uh, some of the older guys, DeAndre Liggins, Darius Miller. So we kind of put together a, a, a really good team and an exciting team. Uh, you know, John Wall was probably one of the most dynamic guards that we've had, you know, while I was in college. His personality and the way he walked in the door, he was like, you know, he was on 10 from the beginning. Yeah, so kind of, hold on one second, Rob. Kind of talk about the difference between him and like, because you had Derrick Rose, you had Tyreek, mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. had John Wall. So kind of talk about what made Wall different from them other two guys? Well, the only thing, he just his dynamic personality, you know, like he loved the, you know, the spotlight. You know, that was the difference. That was the main difference between him, Tyreek, and D. Rose. Tyreek and D. Rose were kind of like under the radar guys. You know, they liked, they loved the spotlight, but they were quiet about it. You know what I mean? Okay. It wasn't as demonstrative or, you know, out there like that. John Wall, he wanted all of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got like you. He did the dance. Yeah. <laughs> he was enthusiastic. Yeah, you could tell, like, he was, he that was his stage. Yeah, he just made it his own. Yeah. Yeah, even in practice, you know, we, guys standing under the basket talking, this dude comes and dunks over you, 
they're all on your neck and your head. And he thought that, and he thought that was funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just had that personality. He just was a real out, outgoing dude. Uh, and the other two guys were just to themselves. Like Derrick Rose never really spoke. Uh, I tell people the first time, I'll never forget. It. We're walking. No. So I had a scout ask me who was better, D Rose or DJ Augustine. And, you know, with all due respect to DJ Elkstein, just wasn't any comparison to me. Right. So, but this was the beginning of the year, and Derrick Rose was such a, a, a unselfish player that, you know, he was averaging, I don't know, maybe eight points, six assists, five rebounds. You know, he didn't really, it wasn't a big deal. So this coach, I mean, this scout comes and asks me that, not go to D. Rose. And I said, you know, this scout came and asked me who was better, you or T.J. Augustin. And I said, yeah, I don't tell him, I said, that's crazy. I said, but you know why they asked me that? I said, because you playing down to the level of your competition. Like, you out here coasting, and you're not, like, if, if you coasting against these guys, well, no one can tell the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, you know, you, you, you're playing around too much. Like, so just forward to the NCAA tournament we're playing Texas and we're walking out the uh, out the uh, the tunnel and uh, D. Rose is right by me so he goes straight watch this <laughs> said, straight watch this and he, he destroyed that dude I remember that game yeah, yeah he, went, he went nuts yeah I remember that well he went nuts throughout the tournament yeah but you know that you know, that was D. Rose, you know what I mean? Super competitive, like John Wall, like Tariq Evans, like Brandon Knight, uh, but uh, just real super quiet. Brandon Knight was quiet as well. Brandon Knight was one of the hardest working guys, if not probably the hardest working guy I've been around. Is that right? He was a basketball player. He was a machine. Uh, Tariq Evans was just, I mean, he was so gifted. Uh, you know, he, he worked hard as well, uh, like all of them did. But uh, I'll never forget Tariq Evans and uh, what was it, the Sweet 16? I think we played Missouri. He had like 36 points, and they were all like different kind of layups. Yeah, that guy <laughs> and, got to the basket at will. Yeah, he just, I mean, he just put on a show with layups. And I remember after the game, Cal told him, you're out of here. <laughs> you know, this is your last game here. Wow. You know, like you just basically made your money, you know, off of that game. So, you know, I had an opportunity to, 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 to coach all those guys. And, and, you know, that first year at Kentucky with, uh, with, uh, with Jay Wall and the Marcus, it was a, you know, it was an exciting team. They were young, uh, uh, exciting, but, you know, they, it, 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 was, it was tough because that was the first time having so many young guys. Uh, and, and I've always said it's hard to win with one and done situation. Because you never know when that young player will have that moment. And they're capable of it. You play this whole year and they can play so well. And you can get to one game in the tournament where they have that moment. Yeah, that was that Elite Eight game. That was that Elite Eight game against West Virginia. What'd you say? I said that was that Elite Elite Eight game against West Virginia. Right, right. Right. So it's not like it's three out of five. So West, West Virginia... Uh, through a one-three-one zone against us, and you know we, we struggled with it. And I think we tried to shoot too many jumpers, and uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they beat us, and that was a great team uh, that that could have went further, but uh, just a great experience. Uh, and then you know for the rest of my career at Kentucky, I mean obviously you know we had Anthony Davis, uh, Brandon Knight, Michael Gilchrist, Terrence Jones. Uh, I know I'm forgetting some people, Darius Miller. But we wound up winning a national title when I think it was 2010 or 11. Keep getting mixed up. But we won because we had experience. We had just we had just come from a Final Four uh, the year before. And then the next year, we got Anthony Davis, Michael Gilchrist, who were two young guys who were you know, not just special players, but they were like special individuals. Like Anthony Davis was a team guy. And so he was the best guy on the team, but you might not have seen that every night, like offensively. But 
but he would do whatever it took and he had no problems. You know, how many shots he got, he never talked about. You know, he never complained. He was a team guy. You know, in the final game, uh, you know, he was struggling in the halftime. He told the guys, y'all score, I'll do the rebounding and blocking shots. Uh, so, and then Michael Gilchrist was the ultimate team player leader. He probably was the first guy. Well, no, not, I won't say the first guy, but he had no problems with getting on players and challenging guys. Hmm. Uh, so we had two special players and people that walked walked into a Final Four team that had Terrence Jones, DeRon Lamb, and then we had the, the older guys and Darius Miller and DeAndre Liggins. So, you know, that that propelled us to, to win that championship. You know, just winning with young guys is hard. Uh, and I don't know if people understand that, but we had like a balance. And then we had the experience of the Final Four uh, uh, before we won the championship. So come talk about the difference between the chemistry and the makeup of that Memphis team that uh, lost in the finals and then the team in, at Kentucky that wound up winning it all. Well, I mean, quite honestly, it's just all talent. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just comes down to talent. You got Anthony Davis, Michael Gilchrist, Devon Lamb, Marcus Teague. Darryl all first-round picks. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, I said all first-round picks except for Miller. Right. So yeah. you, had, you, had, you had experience. You had great players. Uh, you know, at, at uh, Memphis, you had D. Rose was the star. You know, he was the guy. Uh, you know, we had Chris Douglas Roberts, who had a great college career. He did. And um, and was a stone-cold killer. He was. I uh, loved his game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had uh, uh, Antonio Anderson. You had Dorsey. Uh, you know, we, we, we had some, you know, we had some good talent. We definitely had talent. Uh, but, you know, the, just the difference is talent. You know, the Kentucky guys were pros. They all were pros. And, you know, we had one for well, Dorsey played for a while as well. But, you know, D. Rose was the guy. He was the he was the engine. And the funny thing about D. Rose, he started off so bad uh, in preseason, we were like, man, he might be here for four years. Really? Like yeah, he didn't he didn't look that good in the beginning. He had to get ju- adjusted to the dribble drive. No, like cause we were running strictly dribble drive at the Right, time. right. So Let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, you seem, you know, talking about college, and so I kind of want to talk about recruiting a little bit. So you've seen recruiting, like, from every aspect as a player, coach, and, and even now as a parent with your son. So kind of talk about that process from a coach's perspective and then from a parent's perspective. Well, the recruiting thing is, is, is sometimes tricky for me. Uh, I, I, that, that's a hard question. I'm gonna answer as best as I can. Okay. But uh, heck, how can I say this? So, I, you know, if I'm recruiting your son, you know, I want to, I want to tell him what we have to offer. You know, I want to tell him what the real deal is. I want to tell him what he is as a, as a player. You know, what he has to, to improve on, what he's good at. You know, on and off the court. Uh, you know, sometimes in recruiting, you know, I think it's overboard, right? Because I don't, like, how can I say it? I don't think, uh, you know, I think sometimes it needs more sense of reality. I think sometimes it's hard for people to tell kids what they really need to tell them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, in the recruiting landscape, landscape, there's so many people you have to deal with, uh, 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 you know, people in the circle. Uh, so it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always had good experiences with recruiting, but I've also, like, even, like, like with my son, uh, with recruiting, you know, I mean, you just, no, let me, let me respect when I say my son, but just in recruiting, I think you should always be straight up front and honest and talk about what your school can offer and what that kid, uh, uh, What's his value, and I don't think you need you should play with that. Right? Okay. I think sometimes, uh, you know, there's some misleading going on uh, in recruitment. I think that's probably the toughest part. Uh, you know, and, and and you know, I mean, just from my 
experiences. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a hard subject to talk about. But uh, well, let me ask it this I, way. Let me ask I it this way. Recruiting. I've, I've enjoyed it, and then there's times where I haven't enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, on both sides. Okay. Well, let me ask it this way. So. Talk about the difference. You know, you were at Kentucky and you guys were getting the cream of the crop in terms of the one-and-done talent and then mm-hmm. transitioning from there to, to South Florida, uh, right. you know, trying to build the program. And talk about the difference in terms of how uh, the recruiting uh, or the challenges in recruiting from going from right. Kentucky to, to right. USF. Well, the challenges, first of all, you have John Calipari's probably one of the best that he's changed every program he's been to, right? For sure. So that's, a, so that's an established, like, that's a win. Like, that's facts, right? So oh, yeah. So you walk in any place, and the kids will know that. John Calipari wins. Then the one-and-done phenomenon came on, which Cal started. So now uh, all this, like, it's like whatever he touched turned to gold. So all the guys are becoming one and done, they're leaving. So now you have the fact that if you come to my school, I can make you a pro. Right. right? And then, right. then you have the charisma, the personality, the coaching ability. Uh, you know, Cal does everything firsthand. He tries to make it, uh, 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 he tries to make the best situation for the kids. So now the recruitment is not that hard. Right, you know, absolutely. Now you have all these things that you can walk in and talk about, uh, and so that that becomes kind of easy, you know. And then Cal comes in, and you know, being Cal, and and and, and he's telling you what what Kentucky's about, how hard it's going to be, and and then he tells you your possibilities after you leave there. That's, I mean, you can't sell it any better than that, and it happens. So that at Kentucky, you know, it becomes kind of easy. I don't think it's that, you know, it's that complicated. South Florida becomes a difference because there's no history. There's no, uh, you know, there's you don't have the winning records. You don't have the championships. And at Kentucky, even before Cal got there, you know, it's a rich history. So yeah, I'm one of the top programs in the there, country. What eight titles or seven titles? So you walk in the door with that as well. So Kentucky already had a rich history, and then you have John Calipari walk in the door. Uh, so that was kind of easy. But in South Florida, it was tougher because you didn't have all that, and so now you had to sell a program that you you, you think will be up and coming. And then you also you have other Florida schools. You have Florida, you have Florida State. Uh, you know, and other surrounding schools. So uh, USF was a little tougher, obviously, just because of, you know, what it is. I mean, it's, it's blatant. You know, Kentucky just had so much tradition and, and wins and history and and all that, and, and South Florida didn't have that. Okay, I got you. So I remember, like, a couple years ago, uh, I was losing at a tournament. I was coaching. Uh, Terrell was playing, Phil was, my brother was refereeing, and another one of my cousins was playing. And we was, we was having a conversation about the issues that we see in AAU basketball. Um, mm-hmm. So can you share some of your thoughts with my listeners in terms of some, some of your perspective on AAU and some of the things that you think should can improve or be better? No, I just, just sometimes I, I guess just the teaching aspect. I, like I don't think they, they practice a whole lot. Well, they really don't practice much. You know, they kind of put teams together. And I think that's great for, you know, whoever you deem the top guys. But they walk in and they know the ball is theirs. And they can play any kind of way they want. But the surrounding players, that's tougher for them. And, and uh, you know, I, I, just, I, I just, I don't know. I grew up, and I hate the old school, new school, but I grew up in an era where we practiced all the time. And, and, and we were in our own... Uh, what can I say? Like, if you were in New York, if you were in the Bronx, Manhattan, you know, you probably played on the same team. Brooklyn had a team. So that means y'all were around each other all the time. So, you know, y'all were able to practice a lot. And so everybody had a chance to develop and get better. And, you know, you watch how this thing happens with pros. And, you know, a lot of times, well, a lot of the pros, the, the league is made up of guys you've never heard of or just started coming on in college or at the end of their college careers. 
Uh, and that's because you have a lot of kids out here who can play that just don't get that attention, you know, and, and as they grow and as they develop when finally they go to college or somewhere where someone puts a lot of attention and, and, and detail into their game, they become better. And I think, you know, AU, you know, it's kind of like you have a player or two on the team and you basically telling them this is your team, right? So I right. get all the, I mean, they have an advantage, right? It's a creative advantage that some of the other kids don't get. Because if you if you instill confidence in someone, like, I don't think people understand how far that goes. You know, you can have three players, four players on the team. You're saying these two kids are better. But if you put that same confidence and energy in that backpack, uh, uh, that battery in that other kid's back, we don't know what would happen, right? That yeah, because confidence is everything. So, you know, sometimes I have a, a, a little problem with that, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, I also think it has to be about the kids, and, you know, there's so many things, so much going on. You know, when, when I grew up, there were, you know, we had mentors, we had coaches who cared about us and wanted us to be better as individuals, uh, you know, taught us the value of winning, you know, I played for an AAU coach that, you know, we had to play the right way. You know, I played 17 years in the NBA because I, I learned the fundamentals from the beginning. I learned how to dribble with my right and left hand, lay up with right and left hand. I learned that if a big man grabbed a rebound and he run down the court and he give you that out and he runs, you better reward him. You know, so I learned how to play basketball and, and in the way that it wasn't just about me. I learned that I had to sacrifice for the players on my team. I learned that even though I might have been the best guy on the team, no one ever treated me like that. Like, I can say that now. But if I look back, like, I wasn't on the court like, this is my team. You know, I wasn't dictating anything. Uh, you know, we had guys, if I didn't play well, you know, Dedrick would play. It's Dedrick's turn or it's... Or it's, uh, or it's uh, Ty's turn, you know what I mean? Like, For sure. It, it wasn't so. So there's just some things I think uh, that that could change, or, or we could take a look at. Uh, but I don't know. I, AU is interesting. It's a lot going on. You know, you have the sneaker companies now. Uh, you know, you have a lot of people dictating what's happening and who's who. Uh, and I don't know. I could be naive when I was young. Who knows? That could have been happening. I don't know. But uh, you know, just things like that I, I, I look at. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, you know, with us being family, uh, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, how was it, you know, how is it being a dad and seeing your sons? You know, you mm-hmm. got one that's a freshman, uh, what's up, Ty, at, at, at Wisconsin. Then you got Terrell, who's a senior uh, at St. Pete mm-hmm. High. And then you got baby girl, Tana. He's, I saw some stuff on Instagram. She was like, she's going to be a hooper, too. So mm-hmm. kind of talk about how uh, how you're enjoying uh, the other side, being a dad, now that you're uh, kind of transitioning out of the, the coaching world. Well, I enjoyed, I enjoyed them all growing up, you know. Uh, I got a 24-year-old daughter, too, Torin, who doesn't play athletics, but, you know, I'm proud of her as well as, as, as everyone else. But, For sure. I mean, it's great to see them develop, to see them grow. You know, I, I remember them five- and six-year-olds dribbling the ball in the gym uh, to now 19, 17, 13. Uh, and, 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 and they've grown so much as, as, as people, as basketball players, you know, uh, you know, my kids are 3.6 and 5. You know, they all got 3-point-something great averages. You know, I'm proud of that. They didn't get that um, from their dad. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they, so much, they so much more well-rounded than I ever could have been. I told, uh, I told my oldest son, if I, you know, if I was like him, I would have ruled the world. <laughs> like, wow. You know, so, so I'm, I'm proud of them uh, 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 for that. And then just watching them grow as basketball players and having those conversations with them and getting them to understand that this is a long journey. It's not about the, you know, uh, it's not about the right now. You know, stop, don't think about, you know, what's going on with everybody else. Everybody's journey is different. So to be able to give them all of my experiences, 
uh, I think is valuable, uh, and and I'm grateful that I've had those experiences that that I can pass on. So I just want I just like watching them develop. Uh, you know, they've gotten better every year, and I keep telling them, and I would tell any young person is like uh, athlete, like you can get better in like a month. Like I don't think people understand if you put your mind to it and you're doing the right work, like you can become a whole new player in a month or two. If like, you're willing to put in the work. So in six months and a year, I always tell them think think like two and four years ahead, right? You 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 guys have developed so much over these past years. Just think about if you continue to do that and you work harder, because once you go to college, you know your work capacity becomes more. And that's how you get better. And it's like if you go to the pros, your work capacity is more, and so you get even better. Uh, so I, I just enjoy watching watching them grow as as athletes and also as people, as you know, little adults or young adults. And I'm just you know I'm I'm, I'm like a proud pops just watching them grow. And they handle things very well. You know, ties in Wisconsin not really playing much right now. Uh, and I told him I'm so proud of him, uh, the way he's handled it. Because I don't think I could, at, at 19, I wouldn't have handled that like that. So. <laughs> yeah, man. You see him, like, engaged on the bench. He's clapping. He's supporting his teammates. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, like, at the end of the day. And, and, and I, just like myself, I've always been a team guy, you know, like, so on that basketball court. You know, it was never just about me. It was about winning. It was about making other people better. Uh, and 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 I think they understand that part of the game as well. So, you know, as a coach, I deal with a lot of parents. And mm-hmm. you have some, you know, some that get it and then some that don't. Kind of right. give, some, give some advice to some parents in terms to how they need to, you know, handle their sons, like, in you know, in a high school uh the recruiting, the whole process, you know, just the whole, you know, just being a parent and watching them develop. Kind of give uh, advice to some parents out there that may uh, need some insight or some, some from somebody that's been through the process. Yeah, well, I think it's hard, right? Because being in it from both sides, like I got, I have, you know, different perspectives, right? Sure. Because, uh, on you know, on one side you have to let your your, your child be, the basketball player and that person, you can't think through them, right? And you Definitely. can't force it like it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Uh, you know, when I grew up, my parents knew nothing about me playing basketball, so I had to figure it out on my own. Nowadays, parents are more in tune. They're there. You know, we take, you know, it's like my kids. No one took me to games and stayed at the games. And, you know, now you drive them to the games, you stay at the games, you travel, you watch them and all that. And so you have to be careful not to be overbearing. You know, I see some parents that are doing too much. Uh, yes. And on the other side of it, you have to protect your kids. Oh, right? for sure. Definitely. There's a lot of things out here, a lot of people out here. Uh, and so you have to be there to protect them. And, you know, even the college experience, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about the transfer thing and why kids transfer so much and all this and that. Well, Sometimes you go and you've been told something and it doesn't happen the way you've been, it, it, it was told to, right? Goes so back to that recruiting that we talked talking about, yeah. To move on. You know, coaches do the same thing. So it's a tricky, you know, it's a tricky situation because I've seen it on both sides. And so I know as a parent, you have to protect your kids. And I also know that as a parent, sometimes in this AAU, you have to give your kid an advantage because everybody else will give, you know, whether it's an AAU coach or whether it's a parent coaching their kid on the team. So everybody's trying to create an advantage. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. So, so it's hard, you know. So on one hand, you have to be careful. You don't want to be too much involved. You want to stand in the background and support your kid and make sure that things going right. But on the other side, you know, there's a lot of agendas out here. Yeah, so that's you have that's to protect your kids. So, uh, I don't know. If, if you had asked me this question some years ago, I might have said something differently. But just now seeing it from the, as a coach, as a player, as a parent, uh, you know, there, there's a lot going on. So, there's nothing cut and dry. 
Yeah, I think it's all, you know, with anything else, it's finding the balance of being uh, a parent and then being hands-off and then knowing when you need to be hands-on. Yeah, yeah, and it's but it's tough, right? Because I look at even, like, me and my kids, right? I look at being in the gym, and, you know, I got, like, two personalities. The oldest <laughs> one used to just go at it. Gotcha. And then the younger one just watched that, and he, you know, he was slick. So when he saw me going at the older one, he did something, so I wouldn't go at him. You know what I mean? Like, I got you, yeah. play this little game. <laughs> but, but, like, you have to push them, right? Yeah. Parents, like, because you're going to push them, you know, their mother pushes them in school, right? She pushes them hard. Make sure yeah, that's why they're the crazy. Yeah. You know, got but the results. In general, this is a tough world. So you have to push them. You have to toughen them up. You know what I mean? Because they got to walk out of your house at some point in time into an unforgiving world. So, you know, there is that push that's needed, right? But then you got to understand, you know, it's, it's parent and son. So I, I, I learned and I realized that my words affect my kids differently from someone else's. Oh, right? absolutely. But sometimes, you know, those words have to be said. Right? Yeah. So, you know, some tough over, love. You know, you have to, you know, you know that's, that's use some tough love every now and then. But I won't yeah. have to, we walked off the basketball court. I've always made sure that we talked and, and everything was good, right? So, because it's, it was, it's important for me to have a great relationship with them. So, yeah, when we're on the court, I'm, I'm going to get on you, just like I would get on any other kid, you know? But when we're off the court, like, that's over with, that's done with. Uh, you know, and, and, but it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. So every time I'm around uh, kids who who play, uh, who, who who father worked them out, whether it's Kyrie, uh, whether it was Andrew, uh, uh, hey, what's my man? Can't forget my guy's name. Andrew from Kentucky. Uh, oh, the twins. The twins. Yeah. Whether it was their pops, like they all talked about. How, you know, they all had their stories, you know what I mean? And they're funny after you listen to them now uh, because they're all the same, you know. But what was best for your kids? You try to push them. You know, like I saw LeBron talking to his kid on on Instagram. Yeah, I saw that too. Twitter, yeah, yeah. And I wanted, to, I wanted to hide up under a car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, man, like, you know, I thought that was great. But, you know, there's moments where, you know, there's, it's opposite of that. You know what I mean? And, but I'm uh, sure he's had his moments where he had to put his foot in their behinds, too. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you know, it's, it's like you said, it's a, it's, it's a line that you, you know, you got to teet on, you got to walk it. Uh, but, you know, we all want our kids to be successful. Uh, so, you know, it happens. Okay, so you, you got... Ty as a freshman and and Terrell as a senior, how is uh how is his season going? How's he looking? How's um his prospect? Yeah, well Terrell is classified as two thousand and twenty. Oh, okay. Because yeah, he'll 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 probably do the prep year. And Terrell is on the younger side of his age and so his development has been well, both of my kids, they started out like Ty came into high school at five three. Terrell came into high school as five one, so like myself, they they have developed late. Right? Mm-hmm. So Terrell is about five eleven now. He'll grow. He'll be six one, six two before this is all said and done. Uh, so so that's why he'll he'll be two thousand twenty. Okay, most likely. Uh, but he's he's been playing well. You know, yeah, he's been playing well. They both have been playing well. Ty's done what he's supposed to do in college, whether it's in practice, whether it's the little bit of minutes he's gotten. He's done what he's supposed to do, and Terrell is playing well. You know, he's the guy on the team now. Uh, you know, he has the chance to have the ball in his hands uh, for the most part, uh, and I think he's going to get better and better. I think it's going to be exactly like Ty. He'll get recruited late in the game, late okay. in the season, after people realize it. You know, he hasn't had a lot of eyes on him. So, you know, no one's really seen him. So I think, you know, he's only going to get better as as, as as this year or two goes on. 
Yeah, I, you know, just the, from the few times that I've seen him play, the one thing that stands out with Terrell is the way he sees that floor. Like, he reminds me so much of you in terms of seeing that court. And uh, I remember that yes. one game when I came down, I think it was like a district playoff game or something like that, and he just hit this kid for a layup from half court with a bounce pass, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, no, no, he sees the court well. I always tell them if they put both of their games together, they'll be ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he sees the court well. Uh, he has a good feel for, for, for it. All right, I appreciate this time, Unc. Man, this is something, uh, this is a, a, a privilege and an honor. We definitely got to do this again. Absolutely. So thanks for Absolutely. being on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining in the Key Radio Show. Definitely. That was Rod Strickland. So great to have Uncle come on and give his thoughts and his perspective on a game that we both love. Now it's time to get into some music. We're going to go into You Can't Stop Me by Andy Mineo. Minio, say with me, Minio. Okay, great, two forks high, raise the stakes, risk it all, I take the hate, this the winning team, get the Gatorade, my guy good, but he's not safe, now. They try to shut us down and it ain't gon' slide, only thing I fear is God and he on my side, that's the confidence I got, cause he got me, that's why I really feel like you. Like Kendrick, never be the rapper I got from Hendrix. Top 10 alive, you will never be mentioned. Why I aim so high, won't survive the trenches. Plus, you a Christian, Andy. They will never listen, Andy. Plus, we a pigment, Andy. <laughs> you don't got skill, you a gimmick, Andy. Well, if I listen to you and everything you put in my ear, I'll be living like what a shut up, could I'll be paralyzed by fear. Huh, ain't that the truth? If I quit, the only way I lose, I got two choices when I do this. Make moves or make excuses. Huh? If you know who I'm talking about, then you got me. My biggest enemy is me, and even I can't stop me. They try to shut us down, and it ain't gon' slide. Only thing I fear is God, and He on my side. That's the confidence I got, cause He got me. That's why I really feel like you can't stop me. That's all you got.
You Can't Stop Me by Andy Mineo. Figured since we was talking about basketball, we'd throw in a, some music that makes some great references to some uh, basketball players. So that was Andy Mineo again with You Can't Stop Me. Now it's time to wrap up the show with the Any Key music moment. Parents, the best thing you can do for your kids that are playing sports is be their biggest fan and supporter. Be careful not to overstep your bounds with their coaches and allow them to be coached. Allow them to deal with adversity and go through challenges. If you allow them to overcome adversity and conquer their challenges, you give them the tools they could use to take with them through life when they're off the court or the field. Enjoy the journey because time goes by fast and you don't get back those teenage and high school years once they graduate. All right, that's it for this episode of the Danny Key Radio Show. I want to thank you for joining us. Make sure you subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio. Like, subscribe, leave a review. Let me know what you think of the show. So we're out of here. Until next time, remember, always be positive on purpose.